0: 9, verses 38 through 41. If you have your Bible with you, I would encourage you to turn there, or you can follow along in the bulletin, page 12. Mark 9, 38 through 41, hear the word of the Lord. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Let us pray. Holy Father, your word is good, and we thank you that you have given it to us for our instruction, our correction, for our knowledge and understanding of who you are and what it means to follow you. So I pray now as we turn our attention to this passage that you would give us understanding in your spirit and help us to obey these good words that you have for us here. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as a general rule, I don't like to tell jokes in sermons, but as I was circling around the main idea of this passage, uh, I recalled a joke that I heard many years ago. At, it sets us up pretty well for, for where we're heading this morning, and so I'm going to indulge us. Uh, the joke is by Emo Phillips, and a slightly uh, adjusted version goes like this. <laughs> I once saw a man stranded in a desert who was dying of thirst, And he said, help me, I'm afraid to die. And I said, you don't need to be afraid. Do you believe in God? He said, yes. And I said, oh, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, a Christian. I said, me too. Protestant or Catholic? He said, Protestant. I said, me too. What franchise? He said, Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? He said, Northern Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern Region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region. I said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Council, or Great Lakes, re- Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And I said, heretic! And I left him there to die. <laughs> all right, what's the punchline of the joke? For all that these men had in common, the deciding factor was their very minor difference. And of course, this is just a joke, but it actually illustrates a great evil and sadness among God's people, which is our tendency to turn distinctions into divisions and to see our brothers and sisters of a different camp as an enemy altogether. I'm talking about infighting within God's church, across traditions, across denominations, across town, even across the these aisles, within our own church. This is a passage about division. What it shows us is that when our distinctions become divisions, they inhibit the mission of God. When our distinctions are often legitimate and even significant, differences in doctrine and practice, when those become divisions, they inhibit the mission of God. They inhibit the very thing we are called to do. And so, today, so today, I want to talk about division. I'm going to speak positively at times about denominations, because distinctions are inevitable and even often healthy. Sometimes too, divisions are essential and healthy. But mainly, I want to speak against, from this passage, our tendency to divide into camps and then throw bombs at each other in ways that disobey Jesus' call to discipleship. So, divisions. Three points this morning for us. First is that divisions inhibit good works. Divisions inhibit good works. Secondly, Divisions profane God's name. Divisions profane God's name. And then third, divisions contradict Christ. Divisions contradict Christ. So three points about divisions, and the first is this. Divisions inhibit good works. Look at verse 38 with me. It reads almost as a joke. It's so outlandish. John says, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. This claim from John could pass as biblical were it not for one word. Perhaps you identify it there at the end, that little and powerful word, us. That word spells the difference. You know, those... um, those little activities you sometimes see in children's activities books where there's two pictures side by side that look identical in every way except for a few small things, and you got to figure out what's the small difference. Well, here, the difference between the disciples being zealous for the purity of the kingdom and being self-important is this word, us. If he had said, because they were not following you, he'd be on to something. The problem, though, is not that this man is ministering outside of the disciples' inner circle. The problem is the disciples' own self-importance, their own self-importance. The 12 believe that they're the real deal and that everything else is out of line. This man was not in our inner circle, Jesus. Only we can exercise demons, Right? Wrong. And in fact, just earlier, they failed to do just that. This man was casting out demons in Jesus' name. He was doing the work that his master had shown him to do. He was being a disciple. And so then what you have here is disciple against disciple. You had disciple against demon. But then another disciple comes in and shifts the conflict to make it disciple against disciple. And presumably, this man's ministry was disrupted, and the demonic activity persists. And so the irony here is that the disciples, in their supposed desire to protect the purity of the work of God, actually stopped the work of God through this man, or at least tried. This reminds me of a great little story about uh, the evangelist D.L. Moody. Moody was a a famous evangelist a couple centuries ago in in, uh, Chicago, and a woman came to him to air a grievance about the way that he evangelized. Moody was known to be pretty forthright, pretty in-your-face and direct. The woman said, Mr. Moody, I don't like the way you do evangelism. Well, ma'am, let me ask you how do you do it? Moody asked her. She replied, I don't. And Moody responded, well, I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. We all are going to have different ways of doing the work, but we got to do the work. You know, Protestants, you know, our Presbyterians like to be pretty orderly by the book. We take our doctrine very seriously and we give great care to articulating things well and and being careful. And we, we tend to be a bit more cerebral, maybe a little slower to act. But there are many good things that come with that. Other denominations tend to be maybe a bit more freewheeling. They'll spin something up right away if they feel like the spirit is leading, but then maybe they won't give as much attention to matters of doctrine. There are good things about that, bad things about that. Every denomination has pros and cons Ways that it fulfills the call of Jesus exceptionally and ways that it doesn't. And these differences aren't benign. It does matter how the work is done. But what matters more is that the work is done. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Do not stop the work. When our distinctions suppress the work, Rather than serve the work, they've gone too far. They have become then divisions that actually disrupts God's mission. Now, I don't want you to hear me saying that distinctions in and of themselves are bad. Because in fact, they are often good. You know, denominations exist basically because people recognize, you know, these are the people that I want to partner with. We have a similar understanding of scripture, which leads to a similar understanding of, uh, or a similar philosophy of ministry. And and so we can work easily with each other. We won't be uh, exerting our energy fighting theological battles. Instead, we can just get on with the work. And that's one reason that, that denominations are good. You know, try to imagine our world without denominations, it would be chaotic. Denominations are a a functional good and also a functional necessity because we are going to disagree. There's no way around that. So what do you do with your disagreement? Well, you find people who disagree in the same way as you and you band together. Denominations are, in, in one sense, a manifestation of people following their conscience and trying to serve God faithfully. Where denominations are bad, where they get off the rails is when they start throwing bombs at each other. When we begin slandering each other, when we can't share a meal with the pastor down the street, when we compete with each other and work against each other rather than celebrate each other's words, and when we can't gather for prayer or seek the welfare of a city in cooperation, that's where we're getting into trouble. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus has in mind here. When our distinctions become divisions, they inhibit the work. Those kinds of divisions are motivated by self-importance rather than a desire to do the master's work and to do it well. And that leads to our, our next point, which is that divisions profane God's name. Divisions profane God's name. I'm getting this from verse 39, where Jesus says, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. So Jesus tells us right here why he wants the man's work to be continued. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards, here it is, to speak evil of me. It's not just the work that is at stake in our divisions. Even more, it is the name of Jesus that's at stake. Jesus is indicating that there is a dynamic relationship between doing a work in his name and honoring that name. It seems as if he is saying that a good work done in Jesus' name somehow reinforces in the doer the goodness of that name. And actually, it makes sense. Think about it. If you exercise a demon in Jesus' name, and then standing before you is this person restored to uh, his right mind, what will you think of Jesus? You'll love him. You'll see that Jesus has the power to restore and set people free. You'll see that Jesus does good things for people. And you will honor him in your heart. And if you honor him in your heart, you will honor him with your lips. And in that way, the fame of Jesus will spread. And that is why Jesus is telling his disciples, knock it off. He wants his good name to be held in high regard far and wide. This is the point for which he came. To shine in the darkness, to bring liberty to the captive, to show forth the name by which men and women are saved, his name. Downstream of the work of God is the honor of his name. And if we dam up that stream with our divisions, the fame of God is diminished. This is why our divisions are a great evil they incur a casualty which is the honor of God's name isn't this one reason people don't take christianity seriously that they see christians fighting so much you know if a person stumbles onto christian twitter god help them would they like what they see probably not would they be interested in god Doubtful. Conversely, our love has the opportunity to display the goodness in the love of God. You know, this is how my mom became a Christian. She was 19, living and working in Alaska, did not grow up in the church, did not know her Bible. And one of her coworkers invited her to a Bible study She'd never been to a Bible study, didn't really track with what they were talking about. But one thing was immediately plain to her, and that was their deep, sincere love for one another. And she had never seen anything like that before. And through being with those people, she was able to trace the fragrance of that love to its source, Jesus Christ. And she put her faith in him. My friends, our divisions are not inconsequential. Our fights aren't cute. They can do great damage. And conversely, our unity and our love can do great good through God's design. They have great power to display his goodness and love and thus give life. So we've seen how our divisions inhibit good works and they profane God's name. And thirdly, our last point, our divisions contradict Christ. They contradict his very word and the very reality that he has established among his people. Look at verse 40. Here Jesus is telling the disciples what is true about Their relationship with this independent exorcist, or uh, yeah, exorcist who's outside their camp, verse forty. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. In terms of the us versus them dichotomy, the disciples thought that this man was a member of them the other, those people. Jesus tells them, no, he is a member of us. In other words, Jesus draws a dotted line, so to speak, between their circle and this man and says, this man is on our team, even if he's not in our particular circle. And to give you a sense of how faint that dotted line is, Jesus brings the bar of unity Fairly low. Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So to turn to such a person and say, you don't belong, you are not among us, is to contradict Christ himself. Now, some of you may be wondering, okay, well, Well and good, but what about matters of significant difference? For example, people who call themselves Christians but teach heresy or deny the basic teachings of the Bible on, say, sexual ethics or live in unrepentant lifestyles. Are we to practice unity with them? That is a great question, and I wish I had another ten minutes. I could go into it in depth. You can expect a a post sometime soon on our Renew Northwest magazine where we can share some thoughts about that. But let me at least give you a few passages to go and and look into yourself and uh, and, and then a basic principle to try to uh, help you with that question. And then we'll turn back to our passage, and I'll provide another thought along the lines of this question. So if you're taking notes, you might jot these down for further reading. Passages like Matthew 18, 15 through 20, about church discipline. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5 would be another one. Ephesians 5, 11 through 14. Ephesians 5, 11 through 14. And one more for good measure would be Matthew 13, 24 through 43. 13, 24 through 43. When you work through these passages, what you find is that Jesus actually zealously guards the purity of the church, perhaps even more intensely than uh, would be our own instinct and reflex. He has strong words. These scriptures have strong words about the purity of the church. Another thing we see from these passages is that one function of churches and denominations is to make rulings within themselves about when a partnership with another is no longer biblically sustainable. And so there actually are principles to help us think wisely through these things. But what emerges from these passages is the simple fact that Jesus does not want darkness and light to get along. That is not the kind of unity he is describing. In fact, he wants darkness expelled from within his church. And so a general principle for that question is that we are not to practice unity with those who practice darkness. And I'm not talking about our, all, we all are sinners, we all practice darkness. I'm talking about a willful, persistent, unrepentant participation in darkness. Well then, let's place that principle in the logic of our passage. Okay, We've been talking about how divisions inhibit good works and profane God's name. Another way to think through this question is that when partnership would also inhibit good works and profane God's name, then that is not the kind of partnership that we are to take up. But for everything else, and we're coming back to our passage now, for everything else, our emphasis should be unity. That's what Jesus is saying here. Our reflex should be unity. To look at a Christian doing good works in God's name and say, ah, a brother, a sister, and to receive their hospitality gladly. The emphasis is unity. The first desired course of action is unity. But note that unity is not what stands at the center of this passage. Who stands at the center? Jesus stands at the center. He says, "Whoever gives you a cup of water because you belong to Christ." Jesus is not talking about unity for unity's sake. He's talking about a unity for his sake and because of him. And in fact, when we seek unity for unity's sake, we find that, to paraphrase Ian Murray, we are likely to abandon truth and stop being salt. If practicing unity strikes at godliness, it is no longer a unity that pleases the Lord. But if your concept of unity is really uniformity, then you are practicing division. And that displeases the Lord. The disciples are concerned about who belongs to them. Jesus wants them concerned about who belongs to him. Divisions happen when we elevate ourselves above Jesus and we come to stand at the center of our little Christian world. That kind of division is a contradiction of the real, actual unity that Jesus has won for us when he bought each of us by his own blood and brought us into his body. So then, in summary of where we've been, when our distinctions become divisions, they inhibit good works, they profane God's name, and they contradict Christ. They contradict his very word. The one people of God becomes fractured such that its mission is compromised and its interior love is abandoned. And this is a great evil. So where do we go with all this? Let's let's get our boots on the ground for a moment. I'm going to offer a few practical implications and then I'll close this out. I like this advice from J.C. Ryle, an Anglican bishop in the 19th century when he said, Keep the walls of separation as low as possible and shake hands across them as often as you can. Keep the walls of separation as low as possible and shake hands over them as often as you can. In other words, sincerely enjoy the unity you share with God's people everywhere. A few practical implications of this. Let me share three. One, my friends, let us remember that there is a missional quality to our unity. Especially in our current cultural moment where everyone is Twitter-blasting each other and canceling each other as soon as anyone steps out of line, the church has a real opportunity to put forth another way, to practice Christian charity and the kind of tolerance that Jesus describes here, not tolerance of darkness and full-on heresy, or any kind of heresy, but tolerance of a certain degree of difference that doesn't cut at the vitals of our shared mission. A second is to start using the words brother and sister. This is a real privilege that God's people have, that we are brought into a family, a real, actual, spiritual family. Learn to use the word brother, sister, our Methodist brother, our Baptist sister, our brothers and sisters over at Spring Creek or Christ the King Bellingham or Northwest Baptist down the street. Call each other brother. Call each other sister. Use it in your actual speech. Let's let our language reflect our us-ness. And by the way, this needs to start here in this church, across this aisle, before we really have much of a chance of doing it well Outside. I find that it's much easier to practice Christian unity with Christians you don't know than with Christians you do. So let us give sincere effort at working out our divisions and coming together around Christ. And then a third implication is to think, to always think of yourself first as a Christian, not first as your theological persuasion. John Neville told me once that a professor of his in seminary said something along these lines. I am first and foremost a disciple of Jesus. After that, I am Protestant because I think it makes me a better disciple. Then I am Reformed because I think it makes me a better Protestant disciple. And then I'm Presbyterian because I think it makes me a better Protestant Reformed disciple. Okay, what's his point? All of these things are serving the main thing which is Jesus Christ. Our distinctions are not our identities. Rather, they serve our one identity, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. And I think when we have these things in mind, we'll find that it's much easier to maintain a warmth for Christians who are different from us a warmth that works itself out in prayer and in hospitality and in partnership and in learning from one another. When we see ourselves first as followers of Christ, we also come to see other Christians that way rather than the Christian with whom I disagree or that wrong Christian over there. And there's also a gift for us in this in that this can be very refreshing And we come to see that the love of God has captured so many different people and see around us so many different expressions of sincere discipleship. People doing the work and loving the Lord, albeit in a different way than maybe you or I would. And that's okay. And all of this serves God's glory. Let me land the plane here. There is so much at stake. In our unity or lack thereof. And I think this is one reason that Jesus prays for our unity in his final hours with the disciples before or on the night of his betrayal. You think about the final words that someone is going to share, they're words of great importance. And unity makes the cut. Here's what Jesus prays in that prayer. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will live who will believe in me through their word And loved them even as you loved me. My friends, our oneness is a message to the world that God is love. Our oneness oneness is a fragrance that a divided world might smell and trace back to the loving Christ who made us one in his death and resurrection. Our divisions cut against this beautiful design and dishonor God's name. So let us be global Christians. Let us shake hands over fences and in so doing show forth the great love of God in Christ to a watching world. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us. You are good and you're Ways are higher than our ways. You are doing so much good in the world that we cannot see. Give us humility. Destroy our self-importance. Help us to so honor and love the name of Christ that we warmly greet all who are serving him. Do this work in our hearts. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.